Hi. Welcome to another episode of Paul Don Power, Power System Design's podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Tatiana Correa. She's a scientist at the UK uh, National Physical Laboratory, and they're working on a new project to improve refrigeration. Now, that brought our attention up because, obviously, refrigeration is a big power area, and so I wanted to bring Tatiana on the show to explain what they're doing. So, hi, Tatiana. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Well, as I just told the audience, refrigeration is a big power area, so anything that improves refrigeration will have a significant impact on power, especially within the white goods space. I mean, there's a refrigerator in everybody's house. Um, Absolutely, yes. Um, In fact, for over 100 100 years, uh, we have been using vapor compression technology, and, mm-hmm. um, and this kind of technology has dominated the design of refrigeration and air conditioning systems that we use today. And uh, today we have at home commercial refrigerators, and, um, and it's, it's fitted with a compressor using gas, propellant gas, and that's the compression of exp- expansion of this gas that uh, results in this cooling effect. Right, right. But Tatiana, if I may, um, I mean, that's a pretty robust and mature technology. What's, I mean, is there anything, I mean, is there anything really wrong with it or is it just that there is so much better to be done? Well, there are many challenges and, um, and all are related with the refrigerant itself. So the refrigerant is the heart, is the heart of any type of refrigeration systems. And I can say there are two main challenging areas of the current uh, vapor compression cooling technology. Um, one is environmental challenge, and second, I'll be economical. So if I'll start to talk about what is wrong about uh, vapor compression technology and what is the impact of environmental, we can think about um, that we are currently using refrigerants in vapor compression cooling um, that are based on free and gases or chlorofluorocarbons type of gas, and uh, which, upon entering the atmosphere, it depletes the natural barrier against ultraviolet radiation and, right. uh, because it strongly reacts with atmospheric ozone. Mm-hmm. And um, as we are all aware and we are all concerned about, the rise of ultraviolet radiation uh, exposure uh, leads to an increased rate of skin cancers and some other concerns regarding other type of public health. And uh, so we have, for many, many years, uh, we have put in a great deal of effort into developing new refrigeration techniques in order to expand the benefits of, the benefits of artificial cooling, uh, but also to limit, uh, maybe eliminate, and even hopefully reverse these disastrous environment consequences. And, um, and we have to think that refrigeration and air conditioning of re- residential and commercial um, um, uh, usage represents 40% of the total EU27 energy, and that also represents 36% of global warming emissions. So uh, that's the main environmental challenge of existing cooling technology. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, uh, the energy consumed for cooling purposes 
also represent a share of 20 to 30 percent of the total household expenditure. So despite of great advances um, that have been made to improve efficiency of this current refrigeration technology, we are still spending a lot of money to cool. And, exactly. Um, and there are also some increasing legal requirements for higher energy efficiency ratings of equipments and housing. And, mm-hmm. uh, but this economic impa- impact also extends to other industries, not just commercial or industrial refrigeration, but industries like electronics, uh, even automotive, healthcare, and even for oil gas, uh, in the oil gas sector. And because these industries rely on the development of new cooling technologies that can easily be integrated um, and also can deliver high operation efficiencies. And this is obviously a major challenge for vapor compression technology, which use these big and noisy compressors. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to give you a good example, um, is when we think about microelectronic industry. So in recent years, uh, electronic miniaturization has become uh, of great of great interest and importance due to the uh, growing demand for very clump, complex but yet lightweight devices, and mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. which a large number of um, electronic components can be integrated. That's what we call integrated circuits. Right, of course. Uh, but, yes. And, uh, but, however, there is a major obstacle um, that may affect developments of integrated circuits um, as foreseen by Moore's law. Um, well, nowadays, a chip may be comprised of thousands component, of components, and that results in heat generation throughout the whole chip, but also in very localized hot spots. Right. So if I may, if I may interject, Tatiana... What you're saying is that your technology or the technology that you're researching is not just going to impact household white goods. It will actually also impact electronic cooling. Um, Exactly, yes. Um, That's true. That's true. So we we believe the future of some other industries, namely integrated circuits, really relies on the development of uh, more integrated and efficient refrigeration technology. Right. So what is the NPL doing in that direction? What, I mean, what does the project actually involve? Right. Okay. So um, just to give you a little bit of background uh, on the stage of uh, current technology, of the electrochloric cooling technology. Um, uh, sorry, Alec, um, um, Alexis, I think I should jump into what is electrochloric cooling. Sure, you can give a little bit about it. I mean, some of our audience knows a little bit about it. You're talking about like Peltier coolers and such, correct? Okay, yes. I can can talk about, uh, yeah, so still what, um, uh, still in the context what industries require, is required Mm -hmm. at the moment in terms of cooling. Um, In fact, I think uh, overall that a wide industry demands for more, as I said, efficient, flexible, and environmentally friendly refrigeration technologies. Right. And uh, hopefully to, um, um, to replace existing 
gas-based uh, vapor compression cooling. And so liquids and solids become very attractive uh, for cooling, uh, right. not only because they have very higher mass density, uh, and that makes for higher energy density, but also because they avoid the release of harmful gases, right? And in, uh, in particular, solid-state refrigeration, and we are talking about thermoelectrics and even magnetic cooling, can play, we believe that it can play a transformative role in the refrigeration sector because it, mm-hmm. they can offer a very clean and efficient cooling solution. But despite the and impressive developments that uh, we have been witnessing for the last six, I think, six decades or even more, these solid-state refrigerants are still, I'll say, a long way to fulfill this broad refrigeration market. Right. The reason is because they encounter very limited commercial viability um, because, for instance, the case of thermoelectrics, they provide very low efficiency. Efficiency of current thermoelectric coolers can go up to 10, 13%. And when we think about magnetic cooling, this is still a very expensive cooling technology because it requires very powerful, large, and expensive magnets. Mm -hmm. So that's why we thought that electrocaloric cooling can tackle some of these challenges. And... um, Electrocaloric cooling is the electrical analog of magnetic cooling and exploits um, the ability that um, some materials, a small family of materials, have uh, to change their lattice volume, lattice cell volume, when an electric field is applied or removed. And this, in turn, results in a temperature change of the material. So that results in some cooling effect. And potentially, electrochloric cooling could be used for efficient refrigeration, for air conditioning, even for heat pumping, and even for conversion of heat flows into electrical power, so even for energy harvesting. Really? That's um, quite impressive. So, yes, and electrochloric coolers also have high efficiency, um, which is similar, similar efficiencies as magnetic cooling, but can also offer additional benefits, such as can be more compact, less can um, can be less can have less weight, and can be more easily integrated into a device. So I think just to summarize the main benefits of electrochloric cooling is that can be it's an environmentally friendly solution can provide high efficiency it is a cheap cheap um, technology can deliver large cooling power does not require moving parts and not even circulating liquids and uh, they can have very small size and flexible shape which makes them promising for niche applications um, right now, now Tatiana, uh, if, if, if now Tatiana, what, what is the what is the potential efficiency of the electrocaloric technology? The efficiency of electrocaloric cooling has not been um, evaluated until um, so far, and uh, the reason for that is that we never 
ever develop or uh, test any electrochloric uh, cooler. So no one ever fabricated um, an electrochloric cooler prototype. So we cannot um, say how much efficiency we can deliver. However, we have some theoretical predictions. And these predictions indicate an efficiency of around 60 to up to 70%. That's quite impressive. It is when we compare with other solid-state coolers like thermoelectrics that cannot, can go only up to 10 to 13%. Mm-hmm. So now, wh what is the current state of the research and where do you see it going? Is, it, is the research going to end with a prototype or is the research merely to set up the core technology to enable someone else to create the prototype? Um, sorry, Alex, can you, can you say again? Sure, sure, sure. I was just saying the um, research that the NPL is currently doing, will that mm -hmm. research eventually end? Will it wind up with a prototype at the end of the research? Or will the end of the research merely have established the core technologies that enable someone else to create that prototype? Well, um, so this, this effect that I've been talking about, that is underlying electrochloric, uh, electrochloric cooling, that's right. what we call electrochloric effect, has been known for more than a century. But electrochloric cooling was never um, really realized because, uh, because only small temperature changes or cooling powers were ever measured in materials. We're talking about bulk materials like ceramics and crystals. So mm -hmm. it was only um, seven years ago uh, when a team of researchers in the UK discovered a giant, what they call a giant electrochloric effect in the same class of materials, but in a different format, in thin films, so very, with very, very thin um, layers. And these could achieve temperature changes of up to 10 times higher than ever measured in bulk materials. So this, is, this was a very exciting um, and breakthrough. Uh, nevertheless, exploitation of electrochloric e effect for cooling applications is it's, uh, it's in its very early stages. And the number mm -hmm. of fundamental and technical features uh, need to be resolved. Um, one uh, is the development of new electrochloric materials. Uh, this, we need to develop new materials that can uh, support the absorption of large amounts of heat from a cold, um, uh, from a cold reservoir at close, close to room temperatures. Um, mm -hmm. and, this, and this has been set as the most probably uh, as a big priority within the scientific community. And, uh, and we, in the, over the last seven, seven years, we have a witness. We have witnesses an impressive progress in this area, um, whereby an improvement of electrochloric temperature change from 2.5 K um, in ceramics, we increase it up to 40 K in thin films, and all in seven years. So this is very, very exciting, but yeah, very impressive. But however, all this discrepancies are reported on electrochloric effect measure uh, using either different measurement methods or even in different labs. 
And this brings us to another challenge that we currently face and we aim um, to tackle in this project, which is the development of metrology. Metrology that can provide traceable and accurate measurements of electrochloric performance of materials and devices. And because knowing how an electrochloric material performs, it's essential for the design of an electrochloric cooler. Right. And also other aspects that need to be resolved in order to, to uh, come up with the first electrochloric cooler prototype are the parts that enhance the efficiency of the heat dissipation uh, during, during the thermal cycle that the cooler experiences. And this can include uh, development of heat and cold sinks, but also heat switches. And that's, what, that's something that we are also uh, working on in this project that we just started. Um, when we are optimizing the design of um, electrochloric cooler, and, um, and ultimately we will demonstrate the performance um, of the first electrochloric cooler prototype ever made. Very nice. And that's what we're all looking for, right? <laughs> that's what you're looking for, exactly, yes. So, uh, Tatiana, um, I would love to have you talk more about this, but we unfortunately don't have that much time on the show, but I always let my guests have the last word. Um, do you have any final thoughts on this for our audience uh, who are in the engineering community? So uh, anything that you wanted to tell them about um, potential uh, timelines, like how long do you think it might take for this to come to fruition? Uh, but just give us your final thoughts before we close out the episode. Um, sorry, you're talking... You thoughts about timing uh, or about, about about how you feel right about how you feel the how how do you feel the research is coming and how quickly do you think you may get some results um, so yes we just start, just started um, uh, the, this new project uh, to develop the new or the first electrochloric cooler prototype ever. And, um, and this is a project that will last for three years. And uh, after these three years, we hope um, to be reporting um, widely to the scientific and engineering community uh, our new results. Excellent. Yeah. And, I, and undoubtedly, you're going to have some interim news before then. Yes, uh, intermediate uh, stages of this project include the development of new of metrologies uh, of, uh, of metrology uh, to deliver accurate electrochloric and uh, sorry uh, accurate and sir, go back go back <laughs> <laughs> no problem uh, yes so um, so um, during the, the, the next three years and probably in the next year we will be developing and demonstrate metrology to deliver accurate direct measurement of electrochloric effect in bulk materials but also in thin films. Very nice. And, that's, and, and I think it's going to be very uh, important, as you pointed out, if this technology does achieve its goals, it's going to radically change the way we cool things, and it will also uh, directly impact, since you point out it can be used as a uh, board-level cooling, it will also significantly impact uh, device performance, I imagine. Uh, 
Yes, I mean, electrochloricoline has many, many um, benefits against other cooling technologies, and uh, we believe that we'll um, penetrate the wide cooling market, not just commercial industrial um, refrigeration, uh, but it will also uh, support the development of other um, new um, uh, industries, like I mentioned, how automotive, I can, uh, as an example, um, cooling technologies have been set as very important in the design of hybrid electric vehicles, uh, mainly to cool down uh, power electronics. Mm-hmm, which is operated mm-hmm. at very high temperatures. So it's not just we can, we will change, uh, the, the electrochloric cooling can change the refrigeration um, cooling, but it will also support the development of new uh, industries and sectors. I agree, Tatiana. So, Tatiana, thank you so much for taking the time and telling us about this. I, uh, cooling, as I mentioned earlier, is something very near and dear to our audience because uh, power management is often thermal management. So thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, and thank I'd you. like to thank – oh, the pleasure's ours. And I'd like to thank everyone out there in the audience for taking the time to listen to us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul on Power. Have a great day.